Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 23, verses 33 to 44. Beginning in verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths, to to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, You shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day you shall be on the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of the palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's not often that we are privileged to gather on Remembrance Day itself. And uh, in so doing, we thought it appropriate to, in our series 100 Days of Prayer, to take up and uh, help one another to learn about prayers of remembrance. Uh, My intention and my hope in the time that we have together in God's Word is to help us each realize that Christian remembrance is different in many ways than remembrance outside of Christian faith. And I hope to help you uh, see how your remembering is to be hopeful. And this is something that the world really needs right now. So I want to start by getting you just kind of get your memory going uh, with kind of more ordinary things. Have you ever taken a relative back to the place where you used to live or where you grew up? I remember with my dad being driven around Leamington, Ontario. This was a house, This or seeing the house that my parents lived in when I was born in London, Ontario, which, of course, I had no memory of. We left there when I was just a baby. But uh, this is what you kind of you say, I, I remember when I lived here, and then you kind of describe your life. And of course, the person you're with may be interested or not, but what, re- what really is happening is that in your mind you have this recollection. I've told you before about this place. 
Uh, this is not far from where we are now. This is 807 Westview Crescent. And it's a place that I lived, I can't even remember for how long, a few years. Um, and I was just a little boy when we lived there. My mom, a single mom, uh, and my sister and myself. I've told you before about where the, before you get to the actual townhouse itself, there's that, see the siding at the front? That's a storage area. And we really didn't have anything in those days, and so I don't think we had anything to store. And so that was turned into a little fort for me. I put a piece of carpet down and would lay down in there. It was like elevated from the ground. Maybe there was storage underneath or something. And there was a hole in the siding at that time, and I could look out to the street, and I remember listening to music, and it's one of the reasons that I still know some of those old songs from the radio. So get your memory working like that, just to prime the pump to remember even better things. Uh, remembering can be nostalgic. My dad tells me, so I have in my mind memories that aren't even my own. Do you have any of those? Somebody has told you things that are so vivid in their mind that you then share that memory. Before I was born, my dad as a little boy, he told me uh, that as a little boy, one of his favorite Christmases, I think there might have been some self-interest in this, but anyway, on his part, but he said, one of my favorite Christmases was when your papa, your nana and your papa, his parents had no money. He was an only child. And he said, and so Papa took, my dad took, he said, all of my toys, which at that time were wooden toys, and just repainted them and made them new. And he said it was one of the best Christmases ever. I, that, I didn't live that memory, but it's entered into my mind. So we want to do that now. We want to remember. One of the difficulties with remembering is that it can be risky. Even happy memories can carry with them pain. You can look back and think at a picture of your kids when they were younger, or you when you were younger, or grandkids. And, and kind of have not only a sweet nostalgia, but also a little, little bit of pain or sorrow at how time passes. And it can get riskier than that. Uh, last week, we eulogized, and the word I'm using is buried, though it may be ashes to ashes, right? But we eulogized Trish Irvin, who many of us in this place knew. I knew Trish fairly well years ago when I was youth pastor here. And Trish was one of the greatest helps of anyone. Carol, Trish's sister, is here today, and our prayers are with you. That kind of remembering is terribly difficult. But we know that it's necessary. Recalling stories. Remembering can be hard. So then as a community, we tell each other, and it's on the buses when you drive around right now, or it won't be for much longer this year, lest we forget we are reminded to remember, though it may be painful. We are reminded to remember, though those painful memories might not be directly our own. Do not forget. And so built in the middle of a beautiful park where people will be just now preparing and service will be ending close to now. All those people who have gathered there and our hearts are with them. It's a little bit of an editorial comment. I think it is even more important now to remember, because we live in a world where there are rising tides of terrible things, um, like fear and nationalism. Uh, those who think nationalism is a good thing are either too ignorant to remember that the First World War was caused largely by that. It's, it, it's patriotism and nationalism are different things. What we did this morning was a kind of patriotism, a, a gratitude that we're blessed to live in a land like this. Nationalism means we're better than everybody else, and that's not true. I just, of course, reading the news this morning and heard that the president of France 
outlined this fairly well and strongly, and it's necessary. So as you remember, you don't only think of the past, you look to the future with some sober-mindedness of realizing how easily things can come apart. If we forget, things can come apart. If we allow people, even our leaders, to hold up terrible things as if they were good, things can come apart. To get even a little more direct, I don't think it's possible. I mean, there might be Christians who declare themselves nationalists, but I think theologically, spiritually, that's actually not possible. Our hope is in something more. If we do not remember, we will be prone to repeat the mistakes and the terrors of the past. If we don't remember, things can come apart so quickly. Our scripture is filled with warnings to remember. If you would do a study on it, it would take you some time. Remember, remember, and don't forget. Moses, in what for us has become Deuteronomy chapter 8, telling the people as they're about to enter the land of promise, after years of scarcity, they're about to enter a time of abundance. And Moses says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way those 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And you shall remember is the center of this passage. So God helped the people by instituting feasts and observances. And many of those feasts and observances are outlined for the people of God particularly for Jewish people in this context. These feasts are outlined, because I don't think many of you keep these feasts anymore, do you? Um, They're outlined in the book of Leviticus. This is one of those books that you should read, but I'll give you as a pastor like a pass that as you read it, you might be really, really bored. There are always like one or two people in a church who are like, bored? How could you be bored with the feasts? And they like know everything about the feasts and all that kind of stuff. So that's great. We need those people. But it's okay that a lot of you are like, oh, this scripture is just going on and on. But at a time like this, when we're helping each other remember well, it's important to be able to look at these kinds of things. In Leviticus chapter 23, the Lord is outlining one of these feasts that will be known as the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what does tabernacle mean? It means that place of worship in the desert as it moved. It's not the temple, it's the tabernacle. It's also called in its observance the Feast of Booths, and it's something that is still taken up by many Jewish people today. In Leviticus 23, 33 to 44, but I'm going toward the end of the passage, there's a beautiful description. It's a lest we forget. But listen to the language because it's so beautiful. Did you miss it when it was read for us? Take the fruit of splendid trees. That just sounds good. Take the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and the willows of the brook and build booths. It's like making a tent. But, you know, not canvas and plastic and whatever advanced material there is to make the tent. But basically you go and you live on your deck or backyard or whatever for a week. And you make this beautiful little booth and you live there. Why? You live there for seven days. That's what the reading that Keith gave us says. You live there for seven days and on day one and at the end on day eight, (coughs) you make a solemn observance to God. Because this will help you to remember that you were delivered through the desert. 
I was with you, says God, as you made your way from Egypt to the promised land. Now, many of the people who were remembering those things did not share those direct experiences. That's why we need to remember. That's why they need to remember. Because otherwise they'll forget and think that their life is their doing. This is a remembering of deliverance. Remembering God's mercy and salvation and how he formed you. And if you don't remember, then you'll think too much of yourself. It's like a way of saying, so I could look back to 807 Westview Crescent, just as one of these things that rings in my head, I still remember it. Maybe it's one of the first addresses as a young boy that I knew, and so it's just stuck there now. I think there's other addresses where I live that I don't remember, but 807 Westview Crescent. And it's like a form like they are with the booths. I mean, there's just much more religious and spiritual, but you can identify with it by remembering. Remember when we had nothing? Remember that other time in our lives? This is a remembering of deliverance, and it's a key part of our remembering, <clears throat> even on times like this, Remembrance Day. But there's another remembering, and this is for the Jewish people, the people that are being spoken to here, it takes place hundreds of years later. After they entered the promised land, they did forget God. They faced judgment, and they faced conquest by other nations, and they were brought out into exile. They were taught later on when they came back to the land and rebuilt to take up another observance, another feast, though it's not quite a feast. It's called the Ninth of Av. It's a good thing to know. The Ninth of Av is spelled A-B, but pronounced V, like Ninth of Av. And on that day, they were to remember, or that occasion, they were to remember grief and loss. The destruction of the city and the temple as they had faced this conquest and judgment. It's an observance, more than a feast, it's an observance of mourning. Remembering by mourning, by grieving loss, the loss of the temple, the loss of the city, as if the heart of a people had been cut out. Now, when you go to remember on Remembrance Day, you remember deliverance, of course you do. But you also remember how many have lost their lives. How many's hearts have been stopped. And you remember, if you remember well, you remember across national boundaries. Because if our God is anything, he is God over all. Every grieving soldier on every battlefield. I have in my mind, why do the nations rage? The ninth of Av is this grieving, this loss. It's hard to know whether there are equivalents in our culture today because we're not great at national mourning or Remembrance Day would be the closest thing. And then sometimes it can pop up interestingly, like the death of somebody like Princess Diana all of a sudden becomes a national mourning. We don't have that many good remembrances like this anymore, so sometimes you have to look for them on smaller scales in and around your community. This is at Berkeley and Mount Seymour Parkway. And I remember when I was a young teenager, there was a car accident at that intersection. There's been a few since. But, and I think there were a number of young people who died in that car accident. And to this day, they still place, must be family members, still place flowers and such there. That it's their personal remembering, but somehow it becomes communal as well. On the 9th of Av, they were to read from Lamentations which mark the destruction of the city. These are not easy things to remember and they're not easy things to read. <coughs> Lamentations 
Look, O Lord, and see. Do I have it here? There it is. Look, O Lord, and see, with whom hast thou dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring, the children of their tender care? See how painful it is remembering it? Should priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My maidens and my young men have fallen by the sword. In the day of thy anger thou hast slain them, slaughtering without mercy. This kind of remembering is terribly difficult. But it's also necessary. At the St. Timothy's service this morning we read In Flanders Fields. This is not the poem behind you, but just to jog your memory. In Flanders Fields the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard amid the guns below it continues we are the dead short days ago we lived felt dawn saw sunset glow loved and were loved and now we lie in Flanders fields the idea is that the dead are crying out for you to remember them Murray Williams and his family were on a trip to Belgium two Novembers ago, and they came across this poem. It's called, The Young Dead Soldiers Do Not Speak. I would imagine this is a translation. They say, whether our lives and our deaths were for peace and a new hope or for nothing, we cannot say. It is you who must say thus, says the soldiers crying out again. We leave you our deaths, give them their meaning. We were young, they say. We have died. Remember us. So you have the remembrance of deliverance and you have the remembrance of pain and sorrow. And of course in Christian faith we would say that includes a remembrance of sin. The reality of facing our own sinfulness. The darkness in the world and in our lives and in our hearts. The importance of remembering the Bible is filled with it. We're going to sing in a few minutes, Come Thou Fount. You've, you've, it's been sung here many times. I often think of a young person like a kid, and it's good for kids not to know everything. I mean, they think they do in some ways, right? Maybe, not all. But there's no way that most children, maybe you don't either, know what the line means, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. You've sung that over and over again. What kind of nonsense? Here I raise my Ebenezer. Well, that's from the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel, the leader at this time, calling the people back to God, He's calling them to remember their own sin, to grieve over the darkness in their hearts and the world. And they're afraid of this impending battle. But Samuel, as a visual reminder, takes a stone and he holds the stone up and he gives it a name. And he says this, this stone is named Ebenezer, which means stone of remembering. Because I'm going to put it here and whenever we see it, we're going to remember that the Lord has been our help. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. We remember God's deliverance. We remember the grieving of loss. We remember that God is with us. But what I want you to know in all of these things is that all of these things come together in Jesus Christ. This is where the distinction between simply remembering and Christian remembering finds its substance. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, remember me. We break the bread. He took that bread and broke it and said that this was his body. Do this in remembrance of me. When you are afraid, as you recall, our faith, your faith, whether it's through grief 
or remembering deliverance, our faith doesn't end with the remembering. It leads us to hope in Jesus Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. Because remembering can be a trigger for fear. Sometimes people fail to remember because they want to avoid that fear. It can be real. They choose ignorance instead. I don't quite know just what remembering without faith looks like. I have to try to anticipate it or imagine it because I do have faith. There are times that I have doubt or there are times where that faith seems weak. But I've been at this long enough that I know that remembering with faith is different. What is it that people without faith, particularly we're talking here Christian faith, what do they do when they remember? We ought to honor them. They remember so not to repeat. They remember to be grateful. These are all good things. But as you go to the service at a cenotaph or as you remember here in church, part of your gift to the world as a Christian is that you are people who remember with hope. So that when you hear them reading those verses, stumbling through a community service where there's still old hymns and fewer and fewer people know the hymns, that's okay. And then reading something and trying not to be too Christian, but some people want it to be Christian. That you could remember at those times, I am here, I am participating in this, I am with my community, but I remember with hope. On their behalf, too. Not to be distant from them, but to know a greater hope. You do not mourn as the world mourns. You do not mourn as one without hope. You do not remember as one without hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ has given his life for the life of the world. See, the distinction is that, I I think it's true that in some ways we're either going to live by hope or by fear or by love or by fear. Fear is so prevalent in our world right now. It makes us irrational. I could, if I could make you afraid of one another in this room right now, I could get you to do terrible things. It's astounding to think, right, that even just in a church where we're all trying to love each other and when fear comes in and we start to be against one another, it's astounding the hurt we can cause. And then you move that to a community level or a national level. There's another verse in Leviticus chapter 26. I came across this. I've read it in Scripture, but the most memorable time is when I was reading an essay by Marilyn Robinson, and she is using this Scripture verse to talk about some of the troubles she sees in her own country, the United States, right now. What she says before this is she says, there's two things that I know. She's a beautiful writer, teaches in Iowa. Uh, Marilyn Robinson, read anything by her, particularly her novels. But she said, there's two things I know, that America is filled with fear and that fear ought not be a Christian habit of mind. So as a Christian, she's saying, what's happening? Because sometimes it's the Christians who are propagating fear the most. And then she said, there's a verse in Leviticus 26, there's a little passage that warns people what will happen if they forget God, start to look at themselves more and treat other people as if they're the problem. The scripture says, the sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight. One, (coughs) excuse me, single driven leaf. And they shall flee as one flees from the sword. And they shall fall when none pursues. And they shall stumble over one another. 
as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. Robinson goes on to say, when the citizens of Lyon, France, hundreds of years ago were on their way to kill, assassinate, exterminate the Calvinists, that's a religious group of people, when they were on their way to kill these people, if you asked them, <clears throat> why are you doing this, they would say something, she said, like, we're, we're, we're doing this to take our country back. Casting these people as if they were a danger <coughs> to the nation and to the soul. My favorite description of fear comes from the book Life of Pi. Um, and some of you remember this book, Jan Martel, Canadian author. Excuse me, I can see I'm battling a cold, so I'll just try to. <coughs> you need to read the book. I can't even describe to you why he's afraid. Let's just say it's, there's a boat and a tiger, and it's fantastical. But Martel has the lead character in the book say these things about fear. I must say a word about fear, he says. It's life's only true opponent. Only fear can defeat life. It is a clever, treacherous adversary, how well I know. It has no decency, respects no law or convention, shows no mercy. It goes for your weakest spot, which it finds with unerring ease. It begins in your mind always. One moment you're feeling calm, self-possessed, and happy. Then fear, disguised in the garb of a mild-mannered doubt, slips into your mind like a spy. You become anxious. Reason comes to do battle for you. You're reassured. Reason is fully equipped with the latest weapons technology. But to your amazement, despite superior tactics and a number of undeniable victories, reason is laid low. You feel yourself weakening, wavering. Your anxiety becomes dread. Were you to spend time with that <clears throat> quote, you would each identify with it, that spiral of fear. So when we remember... All of this comes together in Jesus Christ. So can you do that? <clears throat> can you take that place you used to live? So I'm doing it with 807 Westview Crescent. Can you take those remembrances of your own life? Can you take remembrances of deliverance and remembrances of terrible grief and even remembering something on the national scale like we do today? And say as a Christian, Lord Jesus Christ, how do these things come together in you? And then hear Jesus Christ say, do this in remembrance of me. The one whose victory comes not through military defeat, not through looking at the other as the problem, not through defeating a nation, not through defeating a people, but through defeating sin and death itself. And doing so by taking that on himself. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ becomes our deliverer. So we remember the Feast of Booths, for a Christian person, we remember our deliverer, Jesus Christ. We remember his death. My redeemer and my deliverer, by his stripes we are healed, we are saved. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And by the cross he has triumphed over death. My redeemer, hope over fear. But there's also that ninth of Av remembering. Grieving loss and suffering in the world, which until Christ come again, comes again will still be here. Those who tell you it won't, um, do a little reading and correct them. Until Jesus Christ comes again, there will be sickness and disease and suffering and sorrow and pain and even war. 
But you know in the book of Isaiah that it says one day there will be no more war. The lion will lay down with the lamb. That's our remembering and our looking ahead. You don't remember as one without hope. You don't mourn as one without hope. And if you need the help of the community, if you've lost a loved one, if you have trouble getting through that, then the community is to help you to gather and to be the faith and the hope that sometimes you can't have. That's why our faith is always more than just one person holding it. Our remembering is into him and of him. So as I stand on that hill, I'm there every year. It's just one of the only years to not go because do church, right? Cenotaph and some among our company are there, which is a great thing. And I tend to stand kind of on the north side of the hill. <clears throat> and I look down and I always, by God's Holy Spirit, am grateful that in a moment or two, it might just be quick and fleeting in that place. I remember that I don't remember without hope. Marilyn Robinson continues after she gives that reflection of being even the sound of a single driven leaf will send people off in fear. She says, I think today in the United States, in many places, we think the answer to that would be that those of us who have weapons would blast that single leaf to atoms and feel brave as they did it, confirmed in their alarm by the truth that there are so many leaves. Our faith doesn't call us that way. Our faith calls us to a better way. Remembering in our faith, reminding us who we are. Knowing that even if we didn't experience it, what would it have been like to die in war, alone in some ditch, some trench? Maybe nameless. We remember for them in faith. This is the hope of our faith, and here is the promise. As we remember, we look forward to the redemption of all history in Him, in Jesus Christ. This world needs your faith, not your condemnation. This world needs people who hope in something greater than nations or victories. Each trumpet call each lost soldier, deliverance and grief reminds us of God our help. And one day by Jesus Christ, the truth, what we know, what we believe, we put our faith in, and sometimes we feel this more than others. That's why we're a community. We can help one another. The truth is that one day in Jesus Christ, all will be made well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together to remember. And as we turn now to the table of communion, we pray that we would take this, particularly today, in a solemn manner. Knowing that in our faith, while we respect and express gratitude for those who have sacrificed on our behalf, even though they, may have not, they didn't know us, that that respect is enough in and of itself. We don't have to, you know, make it religious. We hold that and we're grateful. But then also as people of faith, as we remember, Lord Jesus, that you gave yourself for the life of the world to take on all sin and death, 
we remember that every sacrifice is just a small pointing towards that ultimate sacrifice, that you were the one who was most alone of all. I know, Lord Jesus Christ, that you were with those dying soldiers or those people who experienced such grief because you cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You, more than anyone ever could, know what it means to be alone. So come, Holy Spirit, and guide us as we take the bread, the body of Christ broken for us, the cup, the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. To remember, we pray this in Jesus' name.